This week on The 624, we talk about the demonetization of Steven Crowder and how it's going to affect your First Amendment rights. And then we wrap up our series on questioning Noah's Ark. Let's get started. Welcome to The 624, the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries, taking a stand on God's Word and trusting it from the very first verse. Join us as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. Welcome to The 624. My name is Dave Napier. I am the host of the podcast and the founder of Central Texas Creation Ministries and the Central Texas Creation Conference. I'm glad you're hanging out with me today on The 624. I appreciate it. It does not get past me that you could be listening to thousands of other podcasts. And so thank you for listening to mine. I hope you had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. You know I always have a good weekend. I took a trip down memory lane. Actually, I took a trip down Barton Springs Road uh, there in Austin. Uh, we actually played putt-putt golf at Peter Pan Putt-Putt. I used to go to this place when I was a kid. This place has been around. Actually, I saw a bench uh, where you could sit down uh, outside of it, and it said it was founded in 1948. This is really cool. I did not realize it was that old. Uh, I took a picture of it. I'll put it on my website uh, if you look up this podcast. I'll put a couple of pictures on my website. They've repainted Peter Pan now, and and uh, it's been a little updated and stuff. But it's still fun. I still enjoyed it. And <clears throat> I'll give you three guesses who won, and the first two don't count. Oh, that's right. I took the gold cup. Now, look, this is uh, this is not the Masters, all right? It's not <laughs> It's not that great of a victory or anything. I didn't get a green jacket or anything, but I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and the truth is, wow, it was hot. And uh, I, it, it, I, I remember why I don't go out there that often because it was really hot. But afterwards, we had uh, Terry Black's barbecue, which is amazing, and uh, everybody knows about Terry Black's barbecue because every single person in Austin was there at Terry Black's. Uh, it is always crazy to get in there and get barbecue. But if you love good Texas barbecue, you need to go to Terry Black's. Uh, they don't pay me a penny to say that. It's just that good. Uh, the other thing I did was I went to Zilker Park because as a kid, uh, I say I'm a kid because I'm really old. No, I'm not really that old. I'm in my 40s. But as a kid, of course, um, actually, some of you don't know this. I was actually a theater major uh, in college. And so as a child, my parents took me to Shakespeare in the Park there in Austin. I don't know that they still do it. I think they've done it off and on uh, in the past. But when I was a kid, they used to do Shakespeare in the Park there at Zilker Park. Out at the soccer fields, there's this huge outcropping of rock, which is great evidence for a flood. But anyway, I digress. Uh, there's this huge outcropping of rock. If you go there, you can look down towards the bottom and see the sedimentary layering at the bottom. But anyway, uh, if you go out there, they used to do Shakespeare there. And in this huge outcropping, there's like these little cutouts where you can kind of sneak out onto a ledge of the rock. And then there's several different platform areas that are just natural rock outcroppings. It was a really cool place to see them put on a Shakespeare play. They had lights out there. They mic'd everybody. It was really awesome. And as a young kid, I used to always dream of being able to do Shakespeare on the rock there. 
So I did a few soliloquies, did some scenes, grabbed a couple kiss, did some scenes there on the rock. Okay, I'm just kidding. I am way too much of an introvert to have done that. Uh, but I went out there, took some pictures. I'll put a picture of the rock just so if you aren't, don't know what I'm talking about or you think you know what I'm talking about, I'll, sh I'll shoot you a picture. I'm not going to shoot you a picture. I will put it on the website so you can look at it. Um, so anyway, I had a great time this weekend. Really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. But today, as before we get into wrapping up our series on uh, questioning Noah's Ark, I don't think I've ever called it that before, but I just named it on the last podcast that we're going to talk about it. That's awesome. That's a great timing, isn't it? Uh, but as we wrap up our questioning of Noah's Ark, I want to talk about the demonetization. That's a weird word to say for me. Apparently, I get tongue-tied. Uh, I want to talk about the demonetization of Stephen Crowder. Uh there's an article, and again, I'll notate it on the on the website, YouTube, Maza, and Crowder, amid censorship battles, some caught in the middle. The problem is, is that there's this guy, Carlos Maza from Vox, which is a media company. They put out YouTube videos. He and Crowder are in this censorship battle, and we're going to talk about this, but a lot of people are getting caught up in the middle. Uh, a lot of YouTube content creators are being banned, they're being demonetized because of this. And it's really unnecessary. And I, I ah, man, I wish we could do something about it. We need to be speaking out. We need to be talking about this. We need to get it out there in the open so that people can get some logic and ration back in our lives, okay? Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on with Steven Crowder and Carlos Maza. Now, Carlos Maza is a commentator for Vox. He puts out YouTube videos. Now, this topic is going to verge on Dave being uh, controversial or Dave being, uh, how do I say this? saying things that he could get in trouble for, but understand how I mean it and not just what I'm saying. So the story is that Steven Crowder uh, is a comedian. He is an online talk show host, and uh, he has been demonetized by YouTube. This is the big thing that has just happened. Now let's ask some question. Who is Steven Crowder? Well, you can check out some of his videos on YouTube. You'll see his style, what he talks about, uh, he is a comedian turned talk show host, and he uses it um, like a skit comedy hour, uh, but he talks about real topics, culture, politics. He is a conservative, uh, and it, it's it's a lot of fun for everyone, for a lot of people, okay? Uh, let me pause here, should you watch his show. I'm not condoning his show, and here's why. There's two sides to Steven Crowder. There's one side that I like, and there's one side that I don't like. Uh, the side that I don't like, necessarily, is the fact that he is a comedian. He makes fun of everybody. He makes fun of how people talk, how people look. He does uh, comedy skits, parodies, that can get offensive, as in language, as in sexual innuendos, as in things like that. Not offensive as homophobic or racist. Nothing like that. So that's the part that I don't like. The part that I do like is that he puts on things like change my mind. He talks about culture and politics and thinks through these things. Now, he is very passionate and he jokes and makes fun of people while he's doing it. But he does actually 
research this stuff and come up with his opinion based off reports and studies and things like this. Uh, as a matter of fact, he does a uh, segment or actually it's it's not a segment on the show necessarily. It's something that they do YouTube videos of called Change My Mind. If you've seen one, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen one, go check him out. This is part of it that I would say, yes, go check out because he does something that most people won't do. He comes out to a college campus. He just did one at Google, out in front of Google in Austin. I wish I would have known about it. Honestly, I don't know that I would have driven downtown to, to see it, but I would have loved to have gone to it and just seen him live. Uh, but it's called Change My Mind. He brings up a topic. They put a banner out. I think this one was, uh, there's no such thing as hate speech, Google edition, Change My Mind. He does this at college campuses with abortion, with gun rights, things like this, and just sits down with people and says, hey, let's have a normal rational conversation that's logical. We're not going to yell. We're not going to call anybody names. We're just going to have a logical talk. Let's talk about it. See if we can find common ground. See where we disagree and can we work that out. This is a very good segment that he does. You can check those out online. So yes, there's two sides to Steven Crowder. One I like, one I don't like. And to be honest with you, that's why I don't subscribe to him. So why was he demonetized? The short answer is he made fun of the wrong person. That's exactly why he was demonetized. Uh, look, he's been doing a series of videos that were rebuttals to Carlos Maza from Vox. Vox is extremely liberal, and they keep putting out these videos that don't necessarily deal fairly with the subject and sometimes leave out information, uh, But and, and they make sure that they are far-leaning left. And... Carlos Maza, here's where Dave gets controversial. Carlos Maza is openly, admittedly, in his own terms, gay. He is, as the term he uses is, he is queer, he is atheist, he is anti-fascist. He actually talks about this in his videos. And so this is important. This is actually uh, relevant information. He even uses the Twitter handle Gay Wonk which means that he is openly and proud about being queer or about being gay. And so there, there's, a, there's actually a YouTube video, a YouTube series called Queer Kids Stuff, where they talk all about stuff for kids. And I, I'm not condoning I'm not saying anybody should watch it. Uh, but they, they have t-shirts that say, uh, spread queer joy. So this is a term that, that this community is using. It's not me being offensive or rude. So anyway, Crowder has been doing rebuttal videos to these, these things. And unfortunately, he's been making fun of Carlos Maza in these videos. Now, to be clear, he has never spoken out. Now, well, I'll say this that I've seen. I went back and watched a few of these videos to kind of get an idea of what we're really talking about. Never once spoke out against the LGBTQ community. And uh, by the way, I always will say LGBTQ because I am not going to make fun of this community. There are amazing, wonderful people in this community. And there are militant people in the community, just like there's militant parts of the Christianity, militant parts of Muslim, the Muslim community, militant parts of Every single type of person you can guess. So I hate it when people make fun of this, this LGBTQ, XYZ, blah, 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 blah. Okay, don't, don't do that. That's not respectful. 
Uh, there's a lot of amazing, wonderful people in this community. So anyway, he hasn't said anything horrible about uh, a person living this kind of alternative lifestyle or, uh, you know, with all these people, especially liberals. Uh, he has made fun of Carlos, not the community, not the, the group of people. So he's only made fun of him. Now, it includes him mimicking how he talks. And unfortunately, he does say things like, uh, he says things like, our favorite lispy queer. Now, he is using that term because Carlos Maza himself calls himself that. All right. Now, the other thing you need to remember is he calls everybody a nickname. Every single, almost, I think every single person on his show, he has a nickname. His half-Asian lawyer, Bill, I think his name is Bill. Uh, there's, th- anyway, I can't think of all the names now because my mind is blank. But he has nicknames for every single person on the show. And usually it's something that you'd be like, really? You call him that? But it's just fun. They're just having fun with it. So anyway, let me pause here. Should Steven Crowder be calling Carlos Maza names? Even if it's in fun, even if it's the same kind of thing he does with even the people he likes and the people on the show, should he be doing it? No, especially someone you're disagreeing with. Steven Crowder claim is a conservative and he claims that he believes in God and, and all this stuff. And I'm not questioning his Christianity. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, he is a different person than me. He is a comedian and this is how he makes his money. I, I'm going to jump ahead here. He is a comedian, and this is how he's built his audience, making fun of everyone. That's what a lot of comedians do. This is how they make their money. They give people nicknames. They make fun of how they talk. They make fun of how they look. That's how they make their reputation and how they build their audience and how they put food on the table. Okay, Even the people that he likes and respects, he makes fun of them because it's just a shtick. Um now, I've gone back, again, like I said, I've gone back and watched, and overwhelmingly, he is addressing the ideas, the facts, and the inconsistencies in the arguments presented by Maza. He is working on the ideas, re- rebutting the ideas, not Maza himself. However, in saying these things, I'm trying to think how to, how to put it, my mind's blank. In talking about these things, he does call him names, or he does make fun of the way Maza talks. So anyway, this is what we're talking about. So here's what happened. Maza winds up getting offended over the last couple of years, because Maza's only been doing this for two years. And he says, look, Crowder has just been harassing him, and he's caused other people to harass him. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, people going to his his, uh, channel and harassing him. Number one, he does not need Steven Crowder to make people harass him because a lot of his ideas are crazy and he he's just very flippant, flippant about a lot of these things. So he's going to have haters no matter what. Uh, and Steven Crowder has never condoned going out and harassing Maza. He has never condoned uh, hurting him, um, doing anything to him, being mean to him, anything like that. He has only attacked his ideas and rebutted the ideas. Is rebutted a real word? Is that correct? I don't know. You can tell me in the comments. But anyway, so Maza goes to YouTube, makes a little 
little montage. It says, look, Crowder is, is a homophobic racist, and I want him off the platform. We, we don't just want him censored. We don't want him to stop using these words. We want him gone. Okay, this is what Mazza tells YouTube. So YouTube comes back and says, okay, we'll look into it. Okay, I'm going to say this, and I'm trying not to because it's going to take me down another path. I'll just say it, then leave it alone. There is no conservative content creator that could give YouTube something like this, and YouTube go, you know what, we're going to look into this. They would never hear from YouTube. But anyway, because Mazza is who he is, very liberal, now he's also part of a huge corporation. This is like NBC Universal. Vox is owned by NBC. And uh, what is it? Is it Disney? I can't remember the other one. But uh, it'll be in the article there. But anyway, so they go and they review all of Steven Crowder's videos. And they come back to Mazza and say, look, some of the things he says, okay, we agree that they could be kind of hurtful. But he hasn't violated any policies. It's not like he's using hate speech or anything like that, which is an illegal term anyway. But he's not using hate speech. Yeah, he made fun of you, but that's not illegal. Okay? Uh, that was not good enough. When they came back and said this, Mazza rallied the LGBTQ community uh, on YouTube and said, we're not going to stand for this. This is ridiculous. You've got a homophobic racist on your platform, and you're not going to do anything. Uh, this is not acceptable. And so YouTube caved. They actually caved in and they said, okay, well, we can't ban him from the platform because he hasn't violated any policies, but we're going to demonetize him for you. We're going to make sure he can't get a penny from advertising from now on on YouTube. And so now he's been demonetized. YouTube has since gone on to make their policies on hate speech and so forth even stricter, and they have gone on to ban and demonetize a whole bunch of other channels and content creators that weren't even in this fight. We're talking about history channels that are talking about uh, Nazis and how bad they were, and yet they're getting banned because they have videos of Nazis. This is becoming ridiculous. And so here's the problem. And this is why I give you, this is all backstory to what I'm really talking about. Even when they demonetized him, it still wasn't enough. The outcry was still there. You have a, you're allowing a homophobic, racist person to be on this platform. We now feel unwelcome on the platform. What are you going to do about it? This is a real problem because, number one, YouTube has already caved, and it looks like they may go even further. I don't know. Now, look, while most people who are LGBTQ, did I say that right? Yes, uh, are nice, wonderful people, you know, you talk to them, you talk to them, you, you laugh at them, they're helping you at, at stores, you're, you're talking to them at work, things like this, wonderful people. However, within there, within that, there is a movement. I, I would almost call it a militant movement that is not satisfied with being equal, just living the world with all of us, uh, you know, with differing views. We all have differing views. I don't agree with what Muslims believe. I don't agree with what Mormons believe. I don't agree with the person who goes out and sleeps around every weekend with a different partner uh, and then has an abortion 
pays for abortions. I don't agree with the person who goes out and gets drunk every weekend till they pass out. Uh, but you know what? A lot of them are still wonderful people that we live with together and have fun and talk and laugh and everything else. I pray for people, and I pray that God would change their hearts, but that's what life is all about. So the problem is there is this militant faction, and that sounds so military and and like they're all, you know, having meetings together and live in barracks, but that's not true. But there is this militant faction that they want to silence anyone who speaks out against their life choices. Now, you may say, Dave, that's not really going to happen. I mean, you know, you're, you're being a little dramatic. You know, Christians are going to be fine. This is our religion. We're protected. This sort of thing. But I'm telling you, in the near future, it may not be safe to be a Christian on YouTube. It may not be safe to be a Christian in the town square. They just updated their hate speech policies for YouTube and Facebook has been doing this. Twitter has been doing this. Everyone is caving to this militant faction of LGBTQ. And I don't think this is a good thing. Eventually, Christians are going to be in a lot of trouble because we're losing our First Amendment rights. Again, you may be saying, Dave, you're being overdramatic. Here's what they're doing. Here's how they're doing it. Remember, we talked about Ilhan Omar a few months ago on this segment of Freedom Watch, and uh, we talked about how how you're being attacked. So if you say, hey, uh, Ilhan Omar, you, you said this, this is un-American, this is horrible, you can't say that. Instead of coming back with a logical argument, a coherent, uh, good, flowing argument, they simply come back and say, well, this person is tweeting or this person is replying. They want to bring harm to me. They're trying to incite violence against me. And what does that do? It takes it takes away from the issue at hand. It makes people hate that person and makes people feel sorry for you. This is a great tactic. I mean, it's not a good tactic to, to do, but it is a great tactic. Look, this is the same thing. This faction of LGBTQ is claiming that people are either inciting violence against them or that that person, by their actions or words, is causing them undue stress, is causing them anguish, things like this. This is happening. Okay. Uh, As a matter of fact, this Sunday, my pastor was talking about uh, how Bible publishers are being sued. Now, I didn't know about this. I had to go look it up. I was like, Number one, it's kind of weird that I'm talking about this. I knew I was going to talk about this, and he brings this up. So I went and looked it up. There is a man, obviously he is gay, uh, who is suing Zondervan and Thomas Nelson because he says, gosh, uh, well, he says that they have caused undue stress and anguish for him and for thousands of others. Here's the best part, (laughs) because that first part, that's obvious. I mean, I get it. That's, That's what everybody says. That's why he's suing them for $60 million, okay? You don't think the money has anything to do with it, do you? But anyway, uh, the other thing he says is that his constitutional rights have been violated because they purposely misinterpreted the Bible. Yeah, good old Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, they have a conspiracy where they purposely misinterpreted the Bible to make it seem like the Bible is anti-gay. Yeah. So, but again, this is happening and it's going to continue to happen. You think about it, 
the same thing's happening in Canada. We've been reading about this for years, that people are being arrested in town squares for speaking out against LGBTQ. It's been happening for years. As a matter of fact, Ontario is looking to effectively ban Christians from publicly witnessing. They are looking at putting in legislation uh, in that province that would criminalize public displays by Christians that are deemed hateful to Muslims, the LGBTQ community, or any other victim group that's defined or designated by the left. And understand, this is coming to America. Please understand this. We have to wake up. This isn't just random events. This is a pattern. It is a coming wave that will eventually see many people censored and silenced. Your First Amendment rights are in a lot of trouble, and we need to stand up for it. But we need to stand up for everybody's First Amendment rights. Because the question is, how do we fight this? How do we, how do we look at it and um, do something about it? First thing, I think we need to start talking about the difference between hate speech and expressing one's beliefs. Okay, We need to understand that hate speech, number one, doesn't really exist. Uh, and you can go to Steven Crowder's uh, YouTube video about hate speech. I agree with him on that, on that portion. There is no legal, tar- legal def- definition. Nearly didn't get that word out. Uh, there is no legal definition for hate speech. Uh, you can give your opinion. Our forefathers, our family members, our grandfathers, our, our sons, our daughters have, have fought and are fighting for the ability for you to say what you think. And I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about the person who's, who's gay. I'm talking about the person who's Muslim. I'm talking about the person who's an anarchist. I'm talking about everybody. You, we have lived and fought and died and, and, and struggled so that everybody can give their opinion. And if that means that you don't like a Muslim, well, you have the ability to say that. Okay. Now, you don't have the ability to tell people to go harm that person. You don't have the ability to go, to go tell someone to go uh, trash somebody's house, somebody who lives a lifestyle you don't agree with. You don't have the ability to trash somebody's house or tell people to go trash somebody's house. I was watching a video uh, yesterday. Uh, it was a YouTube video because apparently I live on YouTube. Uh, I might have an addiction. I'm just saying. But it was uh, from a... Pl- uh, it's a TV channel, I think, called Vice. And it was talking about imams. It was talking about gun culture and stuff like that. You guys know where I work. Okay, so obviously I watch videos about guns and stuff like this. But it was talking about um, people who hate Muslims. Uh, this was a segment of it. It was talking about guns in general and, and cultures. There's a church, wacky church. Uh, they were bringing AR-15s to church. Uh, they all wear crowns of bullets. Wow. Okay, but anyway. Uh, so... Oh, yeah, sorry, I, I got distracted there. So they were actually interviewing an imam from a Muslim mosque, and he was playing a message that they got. The guy was talking, clearly he was backwards, okay? Uh, he was talking about how if you have this event, I'm going to come and I'm going to shoot all of you. I'm going to shoot you all in the head, your women, your children, everybody. Man, no one... No one should have to endure that. 
I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't care what lifestyle you live. I don't care what your choices are. No one should have to, to listen to that kind of junk. Okay. And the question was, should the imam have the ability to defend himself and his family? Should he have a gun? Uh, if somebody comes into a mosque, should they have the ability to have a gun and to defend him and his family and his uh, congregants and things like this? Absolutely, yes. The answer, overwhelmingly, yes. Okay, no one should no one should have the right to defend themselves, their family, their loved ones taken away from them. Uh, whether you're an, a, a mom, a priest, a pastor, whatever, nothing should stop that. So anyway, uh, I think I got off on a tangent there. <laughs> I got to reel it back in, Dave. Okay, reel it back in. So look, the more we ignore this, and this is the status quo, we kind of go, oh, yeah, that's what's happening in the big city. I'm in small town, rural America. We don't deal with that kind of stuff. That's big city stuff away from us. The more we ignore this, the worse it's going to get, the further it's going to spin out of control. We have got to wake up. And I want to urge you, number one, to talk about this with everybody. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, your your hated enemies, your the people on the street, whatever. Uh, talk to people about this rationally, logically, uh, making the distinction between this so-called hate speech and people's beliefs and their opinions. Uh, help them to understand that, you know, I tell you what, most people don't believe this whole hate speech thing and you're trying to incite violence and all this kind of stuff. Most people are pretty rational. But it's the people who get on camera, it's the people that make the biggest deal about it that are pushing this narrative. And we've got to get out there and start talking about it, letting people hear the rational side of this, the logical side of this. And then the second thing is I want to urge you to pray for our president, for our Congress, for your local government, your businesses, both corporate and local, as they continue to feel that pressure to compromise on our First Amendment. It is very real for them, and they are on the front lines. They're the ones that are going to make decisions that affect us. We need to be praying for them. And so I urge you to talk about your First Amendment rights and to pray about it. All right. Well, we're wrapping up the series of questions on Noah's Ark. And I want to remind you, that a lot of the things that we've talked about and a lot of the things that we're not talking about are going to be uh, discussed at our conference October 12th, uh, The Tower and the Flood, there in Austin at Calvary Chapel of Austin, uh, which is technically in Pflugerville. But anyway, uh, you can check out the website. Actually, I don't know if I actually have the address on there because somebody just emailed me and asked, where is this thing going to be? I'll have to change that on the website. I'll do that. Uh, but here's the thing. The, those are those tickets are going on sale in August. We're going to be talking about Noah's Ark. I'm going to be talking about the Tower of Babel. And then I've got the featured speaker, Tim Clary, speaking on the global flood, the real global flood. He's a geologist, and so he has this unique uh, way of talking about the flood. It's going to be good. And then he also is going to be talking about the Ice Age because, uh, I don't know if you know this, but they have been for years trying to figure out how you get the natural needed phenomenons to become for the earth to go into an ice age. Okay. Here's the problem. Unless they manipulate things in an unnatural way, they can't get an ice age. 
the only way you get an ice age is from the uh, the environment. Nope, that's not the word. From the basically the effects of the global flood would give you the environment needed for an ice age. Okay, the global flood is the only thing that gives you the factors or the environment for a global flood. I am dying to try and figure out the word that I'm thinking of. But anyway, uh, so he'll be talking about the global flood. It is going to be a good time. You don't want to miss it. I need you to tell your friends about this. I need you to tell your churches about this. Uh, The big problem is this. Here's why I need you. Because most churches don't advertise for things that aren't put on by them. Now, I'm not telling you this to bash churches because most churches are trying to uh, incorporate people into a community, into a family. And so they really try and get people to come to their stuff. And if they present 30 different things in the same weekend, uh, it's very likely that you know half their congregations go off to other stuff and not be part of their family and community. So I'm not bashing them. It is a good thing. But in a sense, it's a bad thing because then you don't get to bring everybody together and learn about creation, to have that ability to come together and strengthen their faith in God through, through learning about creation. So uh, I, w- I need you to spread the word, to get this out there. Talk to your pastors, talk to your, to your leaders and ask them if they will advertise for this so that we can get more people out here. Now, as we do answer these last couple of questions, I feel like I'm cheating you. Uh, I did take it longer than I meant to on the uh, Freedom Watch section there with Steven Crowder. Uh, I apologize if you don't care about that and, and you really were like, I don't care, Dave. Just get to the creation stuff. I apologize. I knew the last two questions I was going to answer were going to be pretty easy. And you watch. I'm long-winded. I'm going to make this way too long. But anyway... I was thinking that I, I wasn't going to have to take that long on these questions, so I uh, purposely t- took more time because I just want us to wake up and know that our First Amendment rights are about to be destroyed. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a realist right now. I'm looking at this pattern as it is getting restricted and restricted and restricted. And we know that the Bible tells us it ain't going to look pretty in the end, okay? It's not like like the Bible says, don't worry, it'll all be sunshiny and, and cool in the end. No, it says it is not going to look pretty. It says we are salt, we are to preserve as long as we can. Look, if you pack meat and salt, it doesn't last forever, but it preserves it. It, it, it elongates the life of the meat. We're to elongate, we're to preserve. But anyway... Let's get into it. The first question is, it's pretty simple. It's one that a a lot of you know the answer to. Uh, You know exactly where to get it from. Some of you know the answer, but you don't know where we get it from. Some of you may not know the answer. Question is this. How did Noah get all the animals on the ark? Not could they fit. uh, Not could he feed them and give them water and all that stuff. How did he just get them on the ark? I mean, let's face it. That would be a monumental task in and of itself. Well, we can actually read in the Bible exactly how he did it. If we go to the Bible, I believe I have it right here. Of course, you can open up your Bible. You can pop open an app and uh, or and read along, or you can just uh, listen and, of course, go back and check me. I always suggest that you check me on everything because I want to make sure that I'm saying the right things. And if I'm saying it wrong, I want you to tell me about it. 
So if you go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 18 through 22, it says this, Genesis 6, 18 through 22, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded, so he did. So there's the answer right there in verse 20. It says, Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So there's the answer right there. The animals came to Noah. Look, it's interesting to think that God could put a sense or a feeling, I don't know if it's a thought per se, that the animals said, look, I've got to get to this ark. I've got to, you know, animals can sense fear on a level that we can't sense fear. That's not what I meant. They can sense danger on a level that we can't. Uh, if you, It's been talked about before. There's been articles on it that uh, when natural disasters happen, when you notice that all the animals are gone, like they're out of there, okay, uh, there's usually something bad about to happen because they can sense this danger. It's interesting that God would use that kind of sense for two of every kind. Of course, there were seven of some, obviously. Uh, but two of every kind that would have this sense that would go to the ark. Okay. Now, obviously, Noah and his family would have to organize them, get them into cages and all this kind of stuff. But the Bible is clear that Noah didn't have to run out across the continents, Okay, which the continents weren't really there when Noah was running around. But uh, he would have to go out and grab all the animals and bring them back to the ark. So the answer is the animals came to him. That's how Noah got all the animals on the ark. Now, the last question I want to talk about, uh, there's questions that I'm not going to talk about, like uh, how did they get air circulation in the ark? If you got things shut up because of the rain, how do you get air circulation? How do you get rid of waste on the ark? Things like this. Uh, Where did the water come from? All this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm going to try not to answer that question, but it kind of goes along with the question I'm about to answer. But I'm not going to answer those. We will talk about those uh, during the conference. So the last question is, where did all the water go? Now, again, some of you know the answer to this. Some of you don't. Uh, where did all the water go? Well, number one, the, the simple answer is it didn't go anywhere. It's still here. You think about it. Remember Psalm 104. We've talked about Psalm 104 before. It says, after the flood or during the flood year, it says the mountains rose and the valleys sank. So in other words, land pushed up so it would be above water level and land sunk down so that the water level would go down. Okay, uh, So because of that, the water is still there. Jacques Cousteau, I think I said his name right. Jacques Cousteau was famous for saying that the the ocean basins are so deep and there is so much water in them that if you leveled out the land, it would cover the earth like for miles. 
it would be like two miles deep. And they've done other studies about this and have come to the same conclusion. All the water to flood the entire earth, if you started to, if you reverse the mountains rose and the valley sank, if you reverse that, the water's all still there. It's just that the land changed to be able to have land above water. So here's an interesting thought. I said I wasn't going to talk about this, but here's an interesting thought. Uh, John McKay, who I believe did creation ministry with Ken Ham with Answers in Genesis. I don't know if it was Answers in Genesis at that time, but I believe he did ministry with Ken Ham. He had an interesting answer to this, uh, but he talks about where did the water come from? And he references Genesis 1 and 2. It says that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. In other words, the whole earth, because then, of course, you know, God says he gathered the water in one place and gathered the land in another place. He says, look, if the entire earth was covered with water, it makes sense and it becomes logical and kind of makes sense of everything. If when, when the land is supposed to come up, the crust was moving, water is going underneath the crust, and the land is being pushed up. So the water's still there, it's just in a different place, which then makes sense when you get to the flood where it says the fountains of the great deep burst forth because you already have the water that had gone underneath the crust, and now it's bursting forth. And so you just have the water moving moving uh, locations, and yet all the water is still there. And that's exactly where you get the water from, and then where the water went. The water has just stayed here, but it's changed locations based on where the land is and how the land is formed. So where did the water come from? It's still here. There's been studies done that if the earth's surface were even, it would be it would cover the Earth's surface two miles deep. And there's a there's an article, I'll reference it on the website. Uh, I believe it says the ocean floor bathometry. I'm sure I said that that word wrong. But anyway, there's an article that talks about the same thing that the sea levels wouldn't have to rise very much in order to cover the earth. Uh, it's actually a lot easier than you think for this to happen. So anyway, I'll reference that article on the website, but the answer is the water didn't go anywhere. It's still here. It's just that the land formations have changed. Remember, God created boundaries for the water. It's not, it doesn't say that the water went away. It says that God created boundaries for the water. And so the water is still here. Now, real quick, I know this is going to be a long one, and I apologize, but I just have to mention this. This is not a battle of evidence. This is a battle of worldview. Now, you probably know that. We probably talked about it. I don't, I don't remember. We've probably talked about it before. This is a battle of worldview. It's not a battle of evidence. The reason being, the reason I'm saying that is because when we talk about a global flood, there is another planet that scientists, astronomers, are convinced that there was a global flood, Mars. They are convinced that there is formations on Mars that prove that there was a global flood. They believe that there was in the past, long past, long past, long time ago in the past, that there was a global flood on Mars. Now, let me point out the ridiculousness of this. Number one, there's no liquid water on Mars. Okay? Uh even if you talk about the frozen water or the frozen gases on Mars, 
there really isn't enough to go, oh, yeah, that could have covered covered Mars. There's totally a global flood on Mars. There's not enough evidence for this. And yet they completely believe it based off the formations on Mars. On Earth, 70% of our planet is covered with water. Okay? Uh, but no global flood. According to science, no global flood, even though 70% of our planet is covered with water, and if you even out the land mass, uh, in other words, lowered the mountains and raised the, the ocean basins, it would cover the entire planet two miles deep. Uh, no global flood on the Earth. Ah, no, couldn't happen. Okay, This is not a battle of evidence. It is a battle of worldview. Why is it that they think there is a global flood on Mars? Because there's no skin in the game on Mars. Okay, The only thing that they gain, or excuse me, they don't lose anything if there's a global flood on Mars. Because the Bible doesn't talk about Mars. Okay, The only thing that they can do is gain if there's a global flood on Mars. Because then you have water, and they believe that water is key to life. Okay, which it, it basically is, but their theory is if there's water, then you can you will obviously find life. That's not necessarily true, but that's the theory. Mars is an easy one to say there's global flood because there's no skin in the game when it comes to the Bible and God. The reason they cannot have a global flood on Earth is because if you have a global flood on Earth, that gives credence to the Bible. If you give credence to the Bible, you give credence to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. This cannot happen for an evolutionist. They cannot give credence to the Bible and to Jesus Christ because if they do, that means they owe allegiance to God, the one who created them, the one who created everything around them. It means that they owe God for the payment of their sins, that they need to turn to the cross to be forgiven of their sins, to be washed, to be positionally perfect. And that is, that is not going to happen for them. They don't want to believe in God. They don't want to, for this to be true. And that's why it is a worldview issue and not an evidence issue. Now, look, not all people, let me, let me give this as a caveat. Not all people look at it that way. It's not like all atheists are sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to believe in the Bible, and if I say this, the Bible's going to be true. I think a lot of it is subconscious. Conscience? Totally going to edit that out. Uh, I think a lot of it is subconscious. And so they're not thinking about it actively, but this is why they're doing it. There is a lot of skin in the game if there's a global flood on Earth, but it only gives them credence to their evolutionary theory if there's a global flood on Mars. And that's why we have the difference. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this kind of series of questioning Noah's Ark. Is it reasonable and is it feasible? And I hope that if you liked it, that you'll come back next week for next week's podcast. And do me a favor. Would you rate, review, and comment on this podcast? Because that's what gets, what sets the algorithms up so that more people see this podcast. So we can get new people to hear, hear the information that we're giving. Hope you did enjoy it. Please let me know what you thought. I always want to hear your feedback. You can get all the notations of the articles and things like that on my website, centraltexascreation.com. You'll also find out information 
on other podcasts, on the conference coming up, and uh, all kinds of good stuff. You can check it out, centraltexascreation.com. If you've got a topic that you'd like to hear me talk about, or if you've got something, a question that you'd like to hear me answer on one of my podcasts, please let me know. Leave it on the website or on the platform that you're on, and I will get to it. But until then, I pray that God blesses you with knowledge to know Him and courage to share Him. Thank you for listening to The 624, the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries. Join us again next time as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. To learn more, visit our website at www.centraltexascreation.com.